0: Welcome to the Family Dream Magazine podcast, the show from America's number one genealogy magazine. I'm your host, Lisa Louise Cook. Our theme for this December 2015 episode is cloud computing. And we're going to start off at the publisher's desk, where Allison and I will be giving you a quick overview of what the cloud is and what it means for you as a genealogist then in our top tip segment, it's all about cloud photo backup. Denise Levenick, the author of how to archive family photos is going to be here to give us some guidance on that. And then in our 101 best website segment, Yev Poussin from Backblaze is going to be here to talk about protecting your genealogy files with cloud backup. In our Family Tree University crash course segment, I'm going to give you a crash course on Google Drive. It's a multifunctional cloud-based service. And since it is the end of the year, we're going to wrap things up with Diane Haddad with the top genealogy stories of 2015. There's a lot to cover, so let's get to it. Our first stop is the Publisher's Desk with Allison Dolan. going to kick this episode off at the publisher's desk with Allison Dolan. Hi Allison. Hi Lisa. Hey, it seems to me that the best way to start off an episode that's all about cloud computing is to talk about what is cloud computing anyway and why in the world do genealogists need it? What how does it affect genealogy? Do you want to take a stab at that?
1: Well, sure Lisa. I think that's a great thing because when I talk to folks who are readers of our publications um, or visitors to our website and such, there's some confusion about what is a cloud. Now, I think the first thing we need to establish is the cloud is not actually a cloud. There's nothing <laughs> floating out in the sky. But the cloud actually is just very similar to what you're already doing um, in terms of when you save something to your computer's hard drive or a flash drive or something local. It's just taking that concept there are still servers somewhere hosting information. It's just you're connecting to them remotely through the internet. And so that's why it's kind of the cloud. It's, it's out there, not on your local network, but stored somewhere else on someone else's servers. So you can access it anytime, anywhere, because you're able to get it through your internet connection.
0: Yeah, and it's like you and I were just talking before we we started this interview, and that was talking about how voluminous, if you will, <laughs> all of our files are, all this content that we're creating, all the website stuff. It's it's moving faster than than our uh, p- home PCs can handle. So I think it makes a lot of sense that um, in order to get that more vast storage and computing capability, we got to move off of our independent home computer and move it on to much bigger servers, such as iCloud and Amazon and all these different folks who have really large computing data banks, all that redundant backup. Um, I I think that that makes a lot of sense. Thank goodness that there's somebody who can handle all that traffic. And, um, you know, I think it's interesting, too, when You were talking about the cloud and and, um, the fact that it's not something floating out there. Really, my understanding is that the term cloud kind of came as a marketing strategy. It was a way to somehow basically talk about uh, a terminology for getting your stuff off your home computer and onto somebody else's computer via the internet. Mm -hmm. So the cloud is really just a a cute little label for that. Um, But it always sounds a little more intimidating than it really is. Let's talk about. For for the genealogist, you know, kind of give us an overview. What are the different ways that we would use the cloud in terms of the kind of computing that we're doing?
1: Well, I think you hit on one really important one in terms of storage space. It's not really practical for us. With all of the huge media files that we generate as genealogists, you know, with images we download from the internet, digital photos... Um, scans of old records and old photos, videos, you know, now you can convert all of those old analog media um, video files to or formats to digital files, those take up tons of space. So, you know, not only is it impractical to house all of those on a hard drive or an external hard drive or a thumb drive, it's also not very safe because you lose everything if those things fail so that's one you know good place to store things but it's not really enough you're creating an extra safeguard for all of that data that you're compiling by having it stored somewhere else that's not susceptible to being lost if your hard drive fails or if your house floods or there's some sort of natural disaster that would impact your local files and drives. So it's definitely an excellent backup method um, and a way to expand your practical storage space.
0: Yeah. Oh, perfect, perfect example of that. Um, you know, and it, and it, as you were describing that, I'm thinking, I really kind of visualize this whole cloud computing in a couple of different main categories there's cloud computing where because we're using our mobile devices and we're trying to share files between all these different devices there's the cloud services like uh, iCloud and Google Drive and Dropbox that help us that's cloud storage but that's files we're using on a regular basis and they're moving between the different devices making it so much easier than emailing things yes. back and forth to yourself there's cloud backup, which you were just talking about, like Backblaze or Carbonite or other types of services. There's Mosey. There's um, services that do cloud backup where your entire computer is backed up. It's automatic. And that's that safety net. Like Mm -hmm. you said, having it offsite key. And then the third type of cloud computing is really where I think software is going. Because even software is getting larger and larger. And there are big players like Microsoft and Adobe, who are now uh, kind of discontinuing that physical disk that they sell you that we look because our computers don't even have disk drives anymore. Mm -hmm. And now they're saying, hey, you come and use the software on our cloud, basically accessing it that way. And they manage it and update it. And so, wow, you know, three major different categories in the ways in which we use um, cloud services that are, are quite different, but all have that same basis in kind of getting it off of our home computer and onto a much bigger computer off-site via
1: the internet. Yeah, and I want to add to that, Lisa, something you sort of touched on with all the different devices we use. Now, the beautiful piece of cloud computing is that it makes our stuff accessible anywhere. So, you know, think about your research log. Instead of having to save a version of your research log from your hard drive and then carrying it with you to the library, you can actually call up your Google Sheets document on the library computer or on your tablet while you're sitting there doing your research and update it in real time and not have to worry about, do I have the drive that has it on it? Um, it's so much more convenient that way and it makes our um, research infinitely more mobile. Oh, it's so true. It's really
0: kind of freed us up, hasn't it? It sure has. The cloud just frees us up to be more on the go and not just tied to our home desk, but out there, um, having those real hands on experiences. I love it. And I'm excited about this episode because we're going to dig into all these different areas of cloud computing more in depth with the the rest of our guests. So thank you so much for helping us kind of lay a foundation to launch into this cloud computing
1: episode. Thank you. (laughs)
0: Family photos are really precious to us. And with all the mobile devices these days, we're also creating new family photos in greater numbers than ever before. Well, in this top tip segment, I've invited Denise Levenick. She's the author of the book, How to Archive Family Photos, uh, to give us some tips on backing up all of those photos to the cloud. Welcome back to the show, Denise. Hi, Lisa.
2: Thanks so much for inviting me.
0: Well, this is a a topic near and dear to everybody's heart because our photos are certainly near and dear to our hearts. Um, Let's talk a little bit about photos specifically when it comes to cloud backup. You know, just a few years ago, creating our backups was kind of a hassle. We had to remember to do it on a regular basis and you had hard drives and all that stuff and, and external hard drives. Tell everyone how that's changed thanks to the cloud backup services that
2: are available today. Well, I think we're really lucky to be living today. I mean, this is a wonderful time to have all these mobile devices. We can take pictures with our smartphones and even our tablets, you know, and and our cameras. I, it's just we have pictures everywhere. But yeah. that, <laughs> that's sort of the problem, isn't it? <laughs> mm-hmm. And... um the cloud services have come along and figured out. Hey, you know, consumers have a problem with this; they need a way to get those pictures um, backed up so that they're safe. Because we all know that we can accidentally delete things off our smartphone, or we can lose them. You know, you can lose your cam, your uh, your phone, or your camera, and then where are we? Right. So, so some of the programs that um, are now uh, being offered include things like um, the Apple Cloud, which is kind of an expanded version of what they used to do. Um, It's much more integrated with the whole Apple system if you have Apple products. But then there are so many other cloud services that work with both Windows or Apple products, like um, Google Drive or Dropbox, um, different things. And if you... Configure them automatically with your smartphone and your um, tablet and your computer. Everything will get backed up. And it's pretty safe up there. You know, they use good encryption um, and they, they know that uh, security and privacy are the hallmarks of their business. They're not going to stay in business if people's stuff starts getting lost.
0: Yeah, exactly. And they've got that redundancy. They have backups of backups of more than we can certainly do.
2: Absolutely. Um, and infin- yeah. and, it, and it expands infinitely. I mean, we'd be going out and buying new hard drives quickly because the backups kind of consume space but I think we we get a little bit confused with all these cloud services and we you know they'll this one will offer a little bit of free space and that one will offer unlimited and so we run the risk of getting our photos backed up in a fragmented way in the same way that they're on many devices in our personal devices, we can get our backups fragmented. And that's really a mistake.
0: Right. Now, you mentioned um, services like iCloud and Google Drive. There's also Dropbox, which is really popular. So these are services that often kind of come tied to the devices that we're getting. And then there's also services that are simply for that automatic backup of your entire computer when it comes to your photographs. Uh, what's the the core structure that you're using to keep them safe, and and how do you decide which ones of these services that you're going to use?
2: Well, I think it's it, it differs f- from person to person. I think the first thing to remember is there's really not one way that's right. There's not a right way and a wrong way. There's what oh, works. Oh darn! No, I know. <laughs> <laughs> we want to hear that, but there's what works for you. I think f- right. for most users. Picking a backup cloud service and sticking with it is key. You might have to pay some money. You probably will because you're probably going to exceed the free service space. I think it's important to pick one service and stick with it. And something that's a dedicated backup service like Backblaze, Carbonite, Mosey, those are dedicated backup services. That's what they do. I mentioned Dropbox, and it's a very popular file sharing service, but that's really its purpose is file sharing. If you upload your photos to Dropbox and they offer that service, I think it's always a good idea to download your photos to your computer, which is what I do, and then I archive them on an external hard drive. I kind of like to have my hands on my backups. So I don't, I have things in the cloud, but I also have external hard drives. And for me, because I do so many scans in TIFF format, which is they're very, very big files, it would take a long time to upload them all to the cloud. So I keep a lot of redundant external hard drives. I have kind of a system. You ask me what my system is. And that's why I think it's important to use a system that suits your needs.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I think uh, something like Backblaze or Carbonite, that's more of the set it in the background and let it just run automatically. And it's really covering everything. Absolutely.
2: Those are great services. They really,
0: exactly. They
2: really are just pick one and stick with it.
0: Right. Um, And we talked about, uh, you know, one of the things that People often hear when when you get in the discussion of backup is this backup three two one <laughs> what does that mean? Is it still relevant uh, what's the scoop on that?
2: Well, it is relevant because we know that lots of copies keep stuff safe, right right and backup three two one is really just a little handy jingle to help you remember you should have three copies that's what makes a backup, not one but three on two different media. And one of those copies should be stored off-site. And with the cloud, it's really no longer imperative that you copy everything to a floppy, to DVDs or, floppy, <laughs> DVDs or an external <laughs> hard drive, and put it in your office. It's not, it's not as imperative that you have a physical copy off-site. The cloud can replace that physical copy that you used to leave with a relative. Yeah. And um, well, backup, backup 321 is just three copies, um, two different media. So on your computer, on an external hard drive, those are good. And then one on the cloud, one off-site.
0: I think that's a great um, kind of formula to follow because uh, having something off-site is key. Uh, as many hard drives as we might have, ex- you know, like the external ones, if they're all in the same house, and the house gets hit by a tornado, you're out of luck. Oh, right. So, you know, I really like that. and It is still, like you say, relevant today. These are all, I mean, it's really helpful to kind of just sort through all this. We have um, the iCloud and the Dropbox and the things that are tied to our devices. They're the things that we're accessing those files on a regular basis. And then there's our cloud backup services where we set it, we let it run. And as you said, it never hurts to have multiples. So... Really great advice. And of course, uh, I know you talk about all of this in your book, How to Archive Family Photos,
2: right? Right, we do. There's quite a bit in there about all this backing up and digitizing and how to use your pictures and creative projects to share your family oh. history.
0: Well, fabulous. It's, it's a fabulous book. I highly recommend it. Go check it out. And Denise, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. <laughs> In this 101 Best Websites for Tracing Your Roots segment, we're going to visit with Yev Poussin of Backblaze. It's a leading cloud backup service and Yev is going to help demystify this whole cloud backup idea for us. Hi, Yev.
3: Uh, hi, Lisa. Thanks for having me.
0: Hey, as you can imagine, genealogists are passionate about their digital files and, of course, we're amassing them faster than ever. And that kind of brings up the question of how to protect them. So. I'm hoping that you will kind of help us understand why do we need a cloud backup service like Backblaze when you're using various cloud services like Dropbox and Google Drive and Google Docs and, and these other kinds of services uh, on a daily basis? What's the difference?
3: Sure. So, again, yeah, genealogists definitely understand the importance of uh, retaining uh, data, right? That's that's essentially they're doing if you boil it down. Um, And so so on uh, Dropbox, uh, for example, that's more of a syncing and a sharing solution. So there's a couple of those like Dropbox, uh, Box.com, Google Drive, uh, OneDrive. There's there's a lot of services that allow you to upload items to them and then share those items with other people and maybe collaborate on those items with other people. And those are perfectly uh, valid. Programs. We we like them. We actually use them internally mm-hmm. in Backblaze as well. That's not the same as having a backup, though. So, for example, this happens quite a bit, and a lot of our online backup customers write in and say, "Hey, thank you. You saved me from a, a potential disaster when someone deleted a shared folder from a Dropbox repository." Right. So, they were sharing a yeah they were sharing a folder with somebody. And the person deleted it, or moved it, or put it somewhere where um, it was no longer part of the, part of the Dropbox shared ecosystem, and then that folder disappears for everybody. Now, there's ways to get it back on Dropbox, but it kind of just illustrates that it's not quite a backup solution. So the difference is um, for for programs like Dropbox and Box that they are mostly intended for syncing and sharing uh, data across multiple devices and with multiple people. So what, what Backblaze does is it's a little different. We take all of the data on your computer, so it's uh, all the movies, music, videos, JedComs, everything that you're working on, and we make a copy of them, and then we back them up to our secure servers uh, in this cloud, uh, the ephemeral cloud that you're trying to, uh, to explain to everybody. It's basically just a series of computers uh, hooked together. It's not that scary. But we, we take them, we copy them up to the cloud, and then we store them for you. So if you ever need them back, you just go to our website, and then you get the files back. Um, so it's more of a automatic and continuous and automated process, whereas on Dropbox, unless you're working primarily out of Dropbox and not moving things inside and outside of it, Uh, you're not really backing up that data. Uh, It's not automatic. You still have to remember to put things into it, take things out of it, Um, whereas with an online backup service, it happens in the background.
0: Well, see, and you've just hit on several of the reasons why I love Backblaze (laughs) and really having a cloud backup service in general, and one is that it's automatic. You know, gone are the days where we are saying, oh, it's the end of the month. It's time to hook up your external hard drive and back everything up, which, of course, doesn't do us any good if our house burns down because that backup (laughs) is in our
3: house. Exactly. That's that's one of the reasons why Backblaze was actually created is because back – In 2007, people were still using CDs and and, um, external hard drives uh, to back up their computers. And it's a very manual process. And so what we found when we were doing our kind of market research was that a lot of people just weren't doing it. It was too much of a bother. Right. And, uh, we didn't think that that was a great strategy, right? So we, we decided to create an automated kind of online solution, which would stay out of the way and keep that data, um, outside of your house, right? Which is an immediate impact zone, um, for natural disasters or for theft. Um, and that, that way, even if something does happen to your home or to your computer, you still have a copy of the actual data that was on your machine somewhere else. And you know that way, if, if something does happen to the machine itself, you can get a new computer, install all of your programs, and then go back to Backblaze, get all that data back and kind of hit the ground run from where you left off.
0: Exactly, on a brand new computer. I know I even told you once that uh, one of my listeners on the Genealogy Gems podcast had written Mm -hmm. me an email saying about this disaster she had and that it was amazing to be able to go back and get a new computer in a new location and get all that data back. And you mentioned something else, Mm -hmm. just subtly, that really made a difference for me. Because although I don't have a lot of old home movies on digital, I I have converted many. Mm -hmm. And um, I also, of course, now that I have grandsons, (laughs) I'm taking a ton of video. Mm -hmm. We all are because our phones and our devices can do that so easily. So video backup was really important to me. I tried another service and I was devastated when I realized six months into it that they were not automatically backing up my video. Talk to us again a little bit about that complete backup because it really is complete. Where you're not cherry picking what you're backing up for, us, correct?
3: Uh, correct. Yeah. It's so it's all the data that's on your computer. So it's anything that that you've created or that programs have created. So if you you know if you're working out of Word or if you're making movies with Movie Maker or iMovie. Um, and saving those to your computer, uh, we'll back those up. And the reason for that is, um, again, simplicity. Uh, we wanted to be as easy as possible. And we found that a lot of other services were making customers pick and choose what they wanted to have backed up. And mm-hmm. this was kind of hearkening back to the times of the external hard drive uh, backups, yes. which was it's still manual that way. You still have to choose what you want to back up and how often you want it to be backed up. And so we took a different approach. We said, okay, we're going to try to make our service costs for ourselves as low as possible. And so we kind of innovated on our own server design, which is super technical and I won't get into it, but we basically instead of buying other people's server solutions or using other cloud platforms, we decided to build our own. And we were able we were able to make it so inexpensive that we were able to provide an unlimited service for our uh, desired price point, which was $5 a month. So because of that, we were able to say, you know what, we're just going to back up everything that lives in the program data or user directories um, without having the person choose. Now they can always go in and say, I don't want this backed up, but it's the reverse of what a lot of other products do, which is we, we, we take the onus off of the customer Of picking and choosing and trying to remember what exactly they wanted to back up and just doing it ourselves.
0: Mm -hmm. Exactly. And, and that all goes back to that idea that in the old days, we didn't always do the backup, even if we did have an external hard drive sitting on the counter next to us. And that's what it's all about, folks, is that it's no good if it's not being done. And so no matter what, You've got to take that responsibility, that control of your genealogical data, and get it backed up in whatever service you use. Um, you know, yeah. I was thrilled to see Family Tree Magazine um, select Backblaze as one of their 101 best websites because I mm-hmm. certainly agree, and I know that you guys have been a fabulous sponsor of my Genealogy Gems podcast, mm-hmm. and and that's because I use it myself. So everybody listening, I hope that this has helped kind of clarify how it differentiates from some of the other services that you use on a regular basis and why it's so important. Yev, you've made it sound easy to understand, and I invite everybody to uh, go to backblaze.com slash Lisa. And when you go there, you're going to get the $5 deal that Yev was talking about. Scroll down a little bit. You'll see my smiling face, and I'll be there kind of helping you. But you will be so pleasantly surprised to see how easy that sign-up process is. I'm guessing you guys really focused on that, trying to make sure it was easy so that we do do it, right?
3: Definitely. It was important for us to make it brain-dead simple. Uh, we, <laughs> I, I like to call it, it was built for my grandmother, uh, which is yep. she was able to figure it out. And if she can do it, having learned computers after the age of 75, I figure anyone can do it.
0: And that's a challenge, but it's one that all of us can overcome. Okay, awesome. Thank you so much, Yev. And again, that's backblaze.com slash Lisa. Tree University Crash Course segment, we're going to talk about Google Drive. It's one of the most popular cloud-based services out there today. You've probably heard of it. You might even be using it. But let's clear up some of the uh, misconceptions and introduce it to many of you who maybe have not given it a whirl. Google Drive is a file hosting service. And certainly, as genealogists, we create lots of files. So you can find this at google.com drive. Now, if you have a free Google account, then you basically already have a Google Drive account and you can sign right in. If you don't already have a free account, let's say you don't already have a Gmail account or a YouTube channel, then you can sign in and get a free Google account. Your Google account is good across all the different Google services that are out there. Now, if you use Gmail you know that you already have a certain amount of storage that's available in your uh, Gmail. If you go to your inbox and look at the bottom of the screen, you're going to see what percentage of that total you're using. That is included in your storage account. However, when it comes to Google Drive, they know that you're going to be bringing lots of other files into Google Drive. And there are 15 gigabytes of outside stuff that you can bring into Google Drive. The quota doesn't count what you create. So uh, if you're creating new items in Google Drive, that doesn't count towards the 15 gigabytes. This is just stuff that you're bringing in from outside. Although your email attachments do count towards that amount. But as you can see, 15 gigabytes, tons of stuff. And this is a big competitor to a service like Dropbox. Dropbox allows you, at least currently, around two gigabytes for free. Uh, Now, these services change a lot based on the competition. So, of course, you can just Google it to find out what the current limits are for any of these services. Uh, A quick Google search at google.com, if you put in uh, Dropbox storage limit, Google Drive storage limit, it'll probably just pop that answer right up at the top of the search results. Now, Google Drive integrates with apps, these allow you to store your files, create them, access them and edit them. So, there are Google apps that you can use in conjunction with Google Drive, one of them being of course Google Docs, and we're going to talk about that a little bit more in just a minute. But Google Drive also allows you to access your files across all of your computing devices, PC and Mac. Uh, on the mobile side, we're talking about Apple, Android, Windows. So, Great flexibility. You don't have to worry about what type of service that you use or what kind of platform that you're on, what kind of hardware that you're on, and determining whether or not you can use Google Drive. You can use all of them. And of course, as you're creating files, storing files in Google Drive, these are going to be backed up to Google's cloud based servers. So, right there, if you had to go to a new computer for some reason, you could sign into your Google Drive account and all your files would still be there, even though you may not be using the same computer. So that provides a lot of security and flexibility as well. So when we think of Google Drive, think of it as similar to Dropbox in terms of a place where you can store and manage and work with files. And of course, just like Dropbox, you can create a file on your PC, save it to Google Drive, and then pull it up in the Google Drive app on your mobile devices. That is wonderful flexibility in terms of being able to move your genealogical file seamlessly between all of your devices. Now, we talked about Google Docs being one of those apps that integrates with it. And you'll find more about Google Docs at google.com slash docs slash about. You can create all kinds of documents. Think of this as kind of the equivalent to Microsoft Office, because you can create text documents, drawings, maps, spreadsheets, they call them sheets, slides, which is kind of their version of doing a PowerPoint or presentation type of application, and forms. So really very similar. It's meeting a lot of the same needs as um, using Microsoft Office. And interestingly enough, you can move your Office files into Google Drive. To me, this is one of the key things about Google Drive that really makes it excel. Not only can you bring in a Microsoft Word document, but you can export it out as such as well. So even though Google Docs within your Google Drive has documents and sheets, the equivalent of Docs and spreadsheets, you can create files that are just Google Drive-based files and yet when you export them, you can export them back out As those Microsoft versions of the files. That means you're not stuck. You aren't bringing a file in and then losing the original format that it was in so that you can't easily share it with somebody else who maybe for whatever reason doesn't want to do it in Google Docs. They would still be able to work with that Microsoft Office document. You can also upload digital files. So we're talking video images like photographs, your audio files if you're recording interviews with relatives, and PDFs. You can also share these files using share links, you can collaborate in real time. This is another thing that's just huge for genealogists. It has history. So when you're working in Google Drive, and you go into your Google Docs, and you're um, working on a document, you can see the history, and you can work in real time with other people. So you can really collaborate on your genealogical um, tasks. And also, there is another big bonus. You don't have to click the Save button. (laughs) It just automatically saves. It really backs you up, has your back, if you will. So you can see it's a real competitor to Microsoft Office. And finally, to give you an idea of what's the big benefit in using Google Drive, it includes OCR, Optical Character Recognition. So many of you who might be Evernote users, you're thinking, oh, that's the big advantage of having Evernote is that when you bring an image in that has text on it, Think of a newspaper article or taking a photograph of somebody with their name tag or a plaque on a wall, a document, maybe a page out of a genealogical book. Whatever document that you have, it, when you take that picture and it has, you've created an image and there's some text on it, maybe it's just words on a page that's in the picture. When you brought that into Evernote, Evernote could apply OCR as long as it's basic typed text or Neatly printed handwritten text. It doesn't do, you know, German Gothic script or anything like that. Well, Google Drive can do the same thing for you. When you bring um, items into Drive, into your Google Docs, it's going to apply OCR, and that really makes it a huge contender for uh, Evernote, a real competitor. And you can also clip and save items from the web, just like with Evernote. And you can also clip and save items from websites, just like Evernote. This again makes it a real competitor. You can see it has so it's really addressing all of the different note-taking types of needs that we have, and particularly as researchers. So being able to web clip, again bringing in those images of just the portion of a website that you need into your Google Drive, and then applying OCR to it, fantastic. And of course what, and of course, who does search better than Google. And there is a search box and a search engine built into your Google Drive. So retrieving your notes is uh, fast and easy and accurate. If you want to learn more, if this sounds enticing to you, the fact that Google Drive coordinates with your Microsoft Office type products, it it has the functionality, much like Dropbox and Evernote. uh, you're going to want to learn more, check it out. It's uh, all about Google Drive. That's the video that I've created. It's over in shopfamilytree.com. And I hope just this quick overview has given you a great sense of what it's capable of. And so that you can go and give it a try yourself. Why not dabble a little bit, check it out and give it a, a test run. You'll find it at google.com drive. Well, we've come to the end of our December episode devoted to cloud computing, but we are also at the end of another year, 2015. And I thought it would make a lot of sense to check in at the news from the blogosphere with Diane Haddad and talk about some of the top stories in 2015. Hi, Diane. Hello. Gosh, it's been a busy year. It's been a very full year of genealogy, and certainly the cloud has played a big part in that, but there's been so much else going on this year. What are some of the top stories that you've had your eyes on this year that you've been blogging about over at the Genealogy Insider blog? Yeah, I can't believe it's already
4: December. Um, yeah. There's still so much left to do in the year. But there have been some really big genealogy stories and really important record releases that I've Love to talk about, so I think one thing that's happening right now that people are um, blogging about is the new ancestry.com. Um, it's that new book with family trees and yes. the website. And they're actually um, right now there's an option for people to go back to the old site, they're getting rid of that. Um, December 15th, I think, is the big day. So. There's some people So just about the time this episode comes out. Yes, <laughs> <Maybe> yes. <gone. laughs> Sorry if it's too late. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so there are some people I think who prefer the the previous version and who are unhappy about the switch and then some people who are embracing the new version who like the look of the new trees. So there you go. That's that's um, under some discussion in the genealogy community. Um And Ancestry has had some really good record releases throughout the year, such as the wills and probates. I think everybody was happy to have access to indexed wills. Uh, Yes. Yeah. And we talked about that in a previous episode about some of the, um, there are some shortcomings with the index, but overall it's just something we have access to that was a lot harder to access before.
0: Yeah, I think one of my favorite uh, record releases they did this year was the Social Security death index applications mm-hmm. um collection that was amazing it had lots of parents parents names names too yes. so it, it's funny you know they don't always make a big splash about it but boy there were some really great collections that came out this year that uh, were certainly a boost in my research
4: yeah there was uh, Yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say another, um, a different website has released Irish Catholic parish registers. Um, They come from the National Library of Ireland, and they're not indexed, but um, I'd be willing to bet that there are commercial websites who are um, working as fast as they can to be the first to index (laughs) these records. Um, Yes. And that would be, when that happens, that's going to be a huge help to finding places of origin in Ireland. Absolutely.
0: And uh, let's see, we've talked about Ancestry and certainly uh, what
4: about Family Search? Anything big going on over there? Well, they're um, right now working on planning next year's Roots Tech Conference. Um, oh, yes. I think Doris Kearns Goodwin is going to be one of the keynote speakers. And of course, um, the 2015 Roots Tech Conference was huge. Donnie Osmond, <laughs> um, yeah. Laura and Jenna Bush, um, just they get the big name speakers in. So that's one to look forward to this year.
0: Yeah, that that was a big story in 2015 in that they really um, tried to push, uh, open the doors to include uh, lots of people who maybe have never looked at doing genealogy research. Yeah. So that was a big mind shift for a lot of us who have been um, firmly entrenched in the industry and in the end in doing family history research. But I think it was fabulous to really bring in those big names just to make it so much more fascinating and interesting to, to pique the interest of people who hadn't considered doing it. And of course, they they did their big family day mm-hmm. on the Saturday, which they're going to do again this year. And I'm excited because this year in 2016, uh, we're going to be working together. I hope folks will come by um, our booth. We'll be at 1230 in the exhibit hall and we're going to have a family tree magazine along with genealogy gems and lots of free sessions. So even if you get out to Salt Lake city and, you don't end up attending the full conference, maybe you're just dipping your toe in the pool, come by because we have lots of free sessions in the exhibit hall. And you can certainly join us. Uh, I'm looking forward to working with all of you guys on that. Yeah,
4: that'll be a lot of fun. And the exhibit hall is free for this conference. So Oh, yeah, um, it's fabulous. So, yeah, if you're going to be in Salt Lake City doing some research, just stop by and come see us. Um, it'll be a lot of fun to, to meet all the people who come by. Yes, Any other big stories we should, uh, we would be remiss not to mention? Well, um, oh, there was one more thing I wanted to point out. MyHeritage has um, introduced a technology, Global Name Translation, which lets you, it's really good for um, searching for people before they immigrated in other countries. You can search on one name and it automatically translates your search into the um, version of the name that might have been used in. Russia or, you know, wherever your ancestors came from. So even if it's a different alphabet, it'll translate your search and return results that are for that name, but from records in a different language. So that's something that is really helpful for for people who maybe aren't familiar with the alphabets and languages that their ancestors used.
0: Yeah, it's exciting to see what technology can do mm-hmm. to really uh, continually improve and expand what we can do in genealogy. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. Things are
4: possible that were not possible yeah. just a few <laughs> years ago.
0: Well, wonderful. Well, there, it's been a great year there's a lot coming up in 2016 and certainly the genealogy insider blog is the place to check in along with this podcast so that you can stay abreast of everything that's coming down the pipeline wonderful hey have a wonderful christmas and new year's Thank you and and you too. thanks to you're anybody. welcome much for joining me for this December 2015 episode of the Family Tree Magazine podcast. It's the monthly show from America's number one genealogy magazine. Here are a couple of action items for you until we meet here again next month. First, be sure and check out Denise Lovenick's book. It's called How to Archive Family Photos, and you'll find that at shopfamilytree.com. And there you'll also find my video class that I told you about. It's called All About Google Drive. Then head to the show notes for this episode at FamilyTreeMagazine.com slash podcast. And there you're going to find links to everything that we discussed in this episode. Thanks again for joining me today. I'm Lisa Louise Cook, and I invite you to visit me at my website, GenealogyGems.com, where you can listen to my free podcast, The Genealogy Gems Podcast, which is also available for free through iTunes, and we have an app for that. Until next time, have fun climbing your family tree.